Welcome to Kill Tank Radio, a 2CR production. Never scripted, always relevant, and on topics you want to hear about. Feel free to reach out if you have a suggestion or you'd like to be on the show. Do you think that officers treat it more like a profession than NCOs do? A leader doesn't get to own any of the successes because a leader didn't do anything. Every single NCO that I have worked with has at some point or another come up and said, I got this, sir. When do you invest in those young NCOs? The RCO says, you know, you just take that punch in the face. There are no NCOs, there are no officers. It's all the leaders on the third floor trying to get the 2nd Cavalry Regiment to go to Poland, go to France, go down to Turkey all at the same time. Hello, everybody. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about officer NCO relations. For this uh, particular episode, I uh, dug deep, bottom of the barrel, lowest of the lowest that I could possibly find. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. I'm completely joking. I'm probably talking to the two best field grades I've had the honor of working with in 22 years. I'll let them introduce themselves, but before we do, I want to give you an idea of what this is going to be about. Officers and NCOs work hand in hand in our Army. The relationship can be a good thing. It can be something that benefits all parties, and it can uh, also be something that's development for everybody. Or it can be counterproductive, and it can be people working against each other and the officer versus NCO kind of mentality, and that's what we want to avoid. Now, before you tune out because you say, well, I'm a PFC and this doesn't apply to me, it does. It applies to everybody because at some point you will work hand-in-hand and have a counterpart that is an officer, but even right now, there's something for you to provide and something for you to gain from the officer that is in your chain of command. So, I'm Command Sergeant Major Burke. In the studio today, I have two fine gentlemen. We will start with the Regimental XO. I'm uh, Major Mike Hefty, the uh, 2CR Regimental XO. Also spent time, uh, did a year as the Squadron XO, and then a year as the Squadron S3, 2nd Squadron, 2nd Cavalry Regiment. Did a year at uh, MCCC as an instructor, a year at NTC as an OCT, have uh, experience in uh, ABCT, IBCT, and SBCT, doing my command time in uh, IBCT deployments, uh, one to Iraq, two to Afghanistan, and then I guess you could count Poland as well up at the Enhanced Forward Presence. Hashtag Professional Warrior, you can find him on Instagram. Check. The man, the myth, the legend who has a voice for radio, I might add. We've officially decided that, um, that his uh, DJ career will be very, very successful after this. But I'll let him introduce himself and talk. I'll let the audience decide that. The voice. <laughs> Major Ryan David, currently the Regimental Operations Officer. Spent time with the War Eagles, uh, where I was the three in the XO. In my career, I've grown up in the light world with the 101st Range Regiment and then 10th Mountain Division. Gone over to Afghanistan twice and Iraq once, uh, commanding with the 10th Mountain Division. Hashtag, I run really, 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 really far all the time. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see what's wrong with that. I look forward to this discussion. It's be great. Uh, I think we have a lot of stuff that we can tease out of here. To kind of get started, we need to get to the mentality where it's leader business. It's mm-hmm. not officer business. It's not NCO business. It's leader business. One thing that Colonel Hofe, the regimental commander, uh, has done really well is he's he's made things leader business. There's a relationship. And with any relationship, that implies that this is a human endeavor. Warfare is a human endeavor, and we all have special areas and expertises that we bring to this. But in the end, it's people business, leader business, and a human thing that we all come together 
and we're all driving towards something in the future. Let me, uh, from the NCO perspective, now obviously I've worked with a, a lot of officers throughout my career, but one of the best, best that I ever saw uh, was actually uh, Captain Chad Jenkins. He was my PL, and it was a deployment. I don't remember. It was the second or third deployment. I don't want to say we were subject matter experts, but as far as what the mission we were doing, we were, we were pretty good at it as far as NCOs. And I watched him come in as a PL. At the time, he was a lieutenant. And we're sitting around uh, kind of a terrain model, little city kind of mock-up thing that we had, about, and we were talking about a target. And he let every single one of the squad leaders talk. And we talked through what we were thinking as far as actions on, and he kind of let us banter back and forth because we didn't always get along. But, um, you know, as far as the squad leaders go and the platoon sergeant, and we just, we were going back and forth. And then at one point, I don't remember how long it was into it, he finally just said, stop. And from there, he pitched the plan. I mean, it wasn't perfect. Don't get me wrong. It was his first one, but it was pretty good. Um, and as the deployment went on over the next three months, I just watched how he took all that experience and just unified it. It made us into a platoon that each of us had our different little kind of pockets of expertise, so to speak. And he just made it function together. He understood that, you know, maybe he didn't have as much experience as us, but he did have a little bit more experience, so to speak, you know, in the doctrine and how, you know, fight land warfare and everything else and how to kind of unify it all into one uh, one platoon that worked very, very well together. And it was one of the better platoons that I've ever been in. I kind of share that um, because it, it highlights a couple different things. As NCOs, we have the experience base. And I talked to all the first sergeants, all the senior NCOs about this. You know, even as a first sergeant, which can range from 12 to, you know, we have some first sergeants that have 20 years of experience in the Army. And if you look at that, that entire time has probably been in the fight, some form or, or fashion. You know, maybe drill sergeant, but that even has its experiences too. They've done OCTs, they've done rotations, they've got combat deployments, but they're paired with a captain that has anywhere from four to maybe six, maybe seven years of experience. So there's a, there's a vast amount of difference. However, the experiences are different and they still have to work together to make a cohesive team. And I think the key part of that is building trust, that I trust you, you trust me, and we also share the same common goal to make the platoon, the troop, or whatever size element we're talking about, we desire to make it the best we possibly can. The first one, Sergeant Major, uh, that strikes out at me, I started thinking initially when you were talking about the squad leaders around the train board, hopefully I, I don't keep bringing up this guy's name, but Jocko, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he talks a lot about the ownership and that extreme ownership. And so right. already the fact that the squad leaders are around the train board taking the ownership of their plan and then there's that, that fine balance, like you talked about. At one point, the captain jumps in and says, okay, well, I'm going to streamline this to bring it into a shared common goal mission uh, that we have to accomplish. Because, uh, again, they're, they're looking at a little bit broader picture across breadth, not maybe just a, a specific piece of the objective that they're trying to solve and, and kind of brings all that together. The importance of letting people own that plan. Because uh, mm -hmm. if there's a 100% plan that that captain would have made, that's just perfect, but there's not the ownership from the NCOs that had a piece of it, that 80% plan executed violently uh, from that NCO level with all of that experience is, is I think, going to be a lot more successful. I'm going to jump on this part that you said, sir, ownership. And having NCOs that own the fight, their soldiers, all that and in between, how does that play into trust as far as the officer, you know, being a PL coming in or being a troop commander coming in and seeing NCOs do that? How does that kind of validate their positions but help you do yours? Honestly, uh, only because I, uh, 
I'll be vulnerable here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's yes. a, this is a this is a room of trust. I mean, yeah, you this, know. Is, this is the trust tree right here. <laughs> trust tree. Yeah, right? It's not going to be shared with anyone. Uh, no, it, I, I, <laughs> if I was going to sum it up, it, it'd be humility. Okay. Uh, and I think humility plays a large part of that trust. You know, you're a young officer. Uh, shoot, you're an old officer. It doesn't matter. You you get put into a position uh, in command or as a platoon leader, as a as a field grade real or perceived that somehow you're going to have all the answers and that every time you know even as a senior nco like yourself you start to feel like every time you go up to the next position well now i got to have all the answers because they're looking up to higher headquarters yeah, okay there's this fear i think that a leader can have where you show up to something and if you don't demonstrate uh, that assertive i have all the answers and if i somehow uh, turn it over to you that shows maybe i don't have the competence to do the job I think it's actually, it's a weird paradox. This is the exact opposite. I'm gaining right. trust when I give you right. that ownership and I Absolutely. acknowledge I don't have the answers. You are the subject matter expert in that area. But I think humility can stand um, in, the way of that. in the way of that trust. Yeah, yeah. I, I see Major David over yeah. here kind of. Uh, absolutely. I mean, who, who knows? I go back to my, my first experience with Sergeant First Class Eric Jones, Staff Sergeant Moulds, Marcelino, and Roderick. Uh, very similar to the experience that you had. It was very much a partnership, creating shared understanding, and Sergeant Moulds generally owned the movement plan. How to formulate that? Right. Be the lead squad, because that's what he was good at. Rodrigue, weapon squad leader, one of the best weapon squad leaders I, I have seen. From that's because you did know me when I was a weapon squad leader. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair. <laughs> but that was his bread and butter. That's what right. he knew. And he could talk and build and develop that plan, shared understanding across the platoon and then eventually the company, and he could execute it. And that built trust amongst the platoons, amongst the amongst the troops, but they all understood it, and it had shared buy-in and understanding, and everyone could execute, and everyone was comfortable, and it was very much my responsibility was to synchronize that, and they understood their individual pieces. They knew that as well that if they made a mistake, it was my plan, and I underwrote their mistake because they made it honestly, and they all felt part of a team. And I think that's something that that you need to foster. The humility absolutely goes into that, that if it's my plan and I develop the plan and say you're going to execute, there is no shared understanding. There is no buy-in. There's no desire to prove my worth because it's just going to be directed. I'm going to be told what to do. Whereas I can voice my concerns. As soon as you walk out the door, it's the plan. We all understand it. We all know what we're doing. Uh, Shared buy-in and shared understanding and and the humility aspect, absolutely. You know, that ownership piece that you're talking about right there, and I'm not going to be like major hefty and quote Jocko. Crap. <laughs> I just quoted Jocko. Um, no, but that ownership piece is, is huge. It plays both ways. Okay. As a leader where you allow them to own the plan, you, or whatever you're doing, you, it could be a training task too, you know, or it could be a training range or anything else. The other key part of that is the officers that stand out in my mind, they also owned the failures. You know, I've seen PLs. I, okay. I've seen a lot higher than PLs, but I won't dig into that where something didn't go right and what did they instantly do they say yeah those you know my squad leaders they just you know they, they weren't listening to me on the radio or they weren't doing this or they weren't doing that i've seen wide array of officers do that throughout their career but then i've also seen the latter too that say yep sir roger sir roger sir i'll work on that sir i will do better sir roger sir it just owns it the rco says you know you just take that punch in the face it's yours it's yours to own and you own it now, granted, the conversation that you have behind closed doors is a little bit different with the NCOs and the leaders within the platoon, but I, I think that's another important part, too. And then this, for the, from the NCOs' perspective, they have to own it as well. 
they have to own their piece of the puzzle in helping that officer be successful as well, especially at the platoon leader level. It's not just a platoon sergeant. It's every single person in that platoon that does that. They can either get on the team because if they don't, it will divide the team, especially at the platoon level. I mean, it'll, it'll continue up, but a platoon is such a small element, and they see each other so frequently that if there's a divide, everybody knows the divide, and they see the divide bright as day that happens within that platoon. So it's important that they do that. And then they build the trust that we're talking about kind of throughout that entire process because there is mentorship. There's mutual mentorship all the way around. And what I've told many, many, many of first aren't, and quite frankly, platoon sergeants as well, what you have to understand is that the chances that that lieutenant will become a troop commander or a company commander someday is very, very likely. Did you help him become a good PL in the process so that when he's a true company commander, he knows how to train PLs. He knows how to mentor PLs, you know, and that's an important piece of that. You just hit on something. You started making me think of Simon Sinek, Sergeant Major. Okay. We, we've had this conversation, I think, in one of our... Another popular person that we talk about on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> We're going to have to start paying royalties. <laughs> uh, Sorry. He talks about going to CEOs and saying, hey, so what do you exist for? And and, what, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and the CEO turns around. He's like, well, let's take care of the customer. And, of course, Simon Sinek's response is, when's the last time you saw a customer? Uh, uh, yeah. You haven't because, you, you, right, you're dealing with managers, et cetera. And that challenge of leadership, a leader doesn't get to own any of the successes because a leader didn't do anything. It was the subordinates that had those successes. Right. Uh, and so it's tough as a leader. You got to give all those successes away to someone else. And then you absolutely own all those failures, like Major David was saying earlier about underwriting them. And you hit on something big with the, the first art mentorship as well. And I'd say really just leader mentorship is how have you helped that person not become the best, but be the best that they can be? Because right. everyone has a different set of talents, things like that. Like Major Dave was talking about an NCO that was particularly good at one area as opposed to another. Well, and I think, you know, as a first sergeant, you have a little bit more experience. As a platoon sergeant, I had four platoon leaders. I also had the honor of teaching ROTC up at University of Washington, Seattle. Uh, which was a phenomenal experience working with cadets, you know, so shaping future officers as well. The point I'm really trying to make is is that you have that experience, so when you look at those PLs and you have that maturity, you could say, ex you know, exactly what you're talking about. Here's his strengths, here's his weaknesses, but more importantly, from watching him, here's how he learns. Here's what works and here's what does not work. The yelling and over the top, that doesn't work. However, sitting down and having to, you know, explaining things to him works really, really well. That's the formidable years. It's just like E1, 3, 4, young Sergeant uh, Burke. Those were the most important years that shaped who I became as a leader. NCOs, strong NCOs that you've had shaped your expectations of NCOs and what you thought. And you, your first platoon sergeant or, you know, your first first sergeant, you compared them to those NCOs, those strong NCOs you had throughout your life. Yeah, I had, I had the picture of first sergeant Rick Skittis pop into my head yeah and it's the same stuff how did he interact with me versus the first platoon leader and the second platoon leader but I, I look at him and I how he interacted with me versus the other folks is markedly different right the, the fatherly sit-down advice about hey you really jack that up over here here's what we think you did wrong and here's how you probably should have approached it versus the just bludgeoning of someone else right. it, it pays dividends and and then taking that and understanding your subordinates how to influence those squad leaders or the staff officers that we have right now. There are some people that respond to very direct leadership and there's others that just respond very much to, 
let's go have a conversation and, and interacting with those people, finding their, finding the ways to push their buttons to get things done is, is absolutely important. That's something that I learned from, from those NCOs growing up. I had this PL and unfortunately I don't remember his name. It was a specialist, I believe. And I remember he had kind of this office that was almost kind of a closet and he had all his gear in there and he left it unlocked. All the privates and some of the team leaders, you know, they went in there and they messed with all this stuff. And I'll never forget his RTO. Aaron Dwarf was the guy's name. When the PL showed up in the morning, Aaron was kind of loitering around the area. He's like, hey, sir, I'm going to help you score away your kit this morning. Anyway, before PT, because I think we were actually doing like a kit run that day. Basically, Aaron went and he helped him set up his body armor. Okay. And being in Ranger Regiment, like you look at somebody and you judge them. How they have their kit set up directly reflects, you know, are they an assaulter? Are they a support person? You know, what do they do for a living? I mean, it's just the truth. You judge a book by its cover. And he spent probably about 45 minutes an hour before PT helping him score away his kit. And, you know, and as he was doing it, he was kind of moving all this other, you know, jackassery that all these people have been doing in his office and everything. And I just remember thinking, like, success. Helping this PL succeed instead of, you know, demeaning him or kind of being unprofessional. Instead, he took the time out to make sure that when he stepped in front of the platoon and we went out and did platoon PT that morning, that, you know, he looked the part. Now, it's always stuck with me. It's always been something I've thought of. I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see this. Uh, oh, sometimes we'll get a, a younger NCO on staff or a younger officer on staff and they'll, they'll ask questions. And sometimes you can you'll see other people that maybe are a little bit more senior have been around for a second uh, within the staff that uh, kind of act like, how do you not know that? Uh, yeah, right. I think, you know, there's three kind of different categories that I really like to kind of focus on us on. And, uh, you know, it's the mentorship, the feedback and the integration. And what I, what I mean by that is, is how does the NCO relation placate into those three different kind of categories? Any thoughts on that, Major David? He's sitting over there contemplating. I'm contemplating, and I, I'm looking at the approach on how I approach what I call the third floor enterprise right now. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it is an enterprise. It is an enterprise. Sometimes it crashes into asteroids. Other times it doesn't. Uh, but I look at it that... Oh, you meant you did a you you just did a Star Trek I reference. I oh man, I went a completely different way. Okay, no, no, okay, no, no, okay, no. okay, 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 no. well, okay. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. So when I look at when I look at us, we're a small division. We truly are. Two stars a small no, division. We have right. we're responsibility for airspace, mm-hmm. embassies across Europe. And what does that mean? That means that a captain that just showed up to staff is expected to operate as a major. Mm-hmm. A sergeant first class that just showed up from a squadron is expected to be a master sergeant or a junior sergeant major. In a right. And how do you develop or how do you empower or how do you express to them that I know you're a captain? You're going to be able to produce stuff at a major's level, and I want you to do that. And I think that the easiest thing or the thing that I've had most success with is just blatantly saying, hey, man, I look at you as a major. I look at Major Hefty as a lieutenant colonel. Mm-hmm. I look at... Colonel Hope as a general officer because of the amount of stuff that we have to mm-hmm. do. Sorry, Major Revis, you're a CSM. You're doing all of this stuff. And you know what? And sorry, Major Burke, you're a PFC at best. Yeah, right, absolutely. Right. I mean, you're, you're, you're the, uh, the Sorry Major of the Army. Um, <laughs> but, but I look at it and I say, Whoa. This, is, this is what I expect you to do. Right. And you know what? Like you said earlier, I own their mistakes. And I tell them that mm. I expect you to go out and make decisions. Make decisions in the, the best way possible that you can do and make them from the goodness of your heart because you're trying to solve a problem. And you know what? If you make the right decision, great. We're all swimming in the right direction. If you make the wrong decision, I will own it. 
I will absolutely own it because I'm a major and I can survive more heat rounds to the chest than you can as a captain. Right. Absolutely can. And you know what? Sometimes they make wrong decisions. Hmm. But they made a decision. But they made a decision. Yeah. And the organization is still going in some direction. Hopefully it's in the right direction. That's where, at this point, the third floor enterprise is the leadership business. There are no NCOs. There are no officers. It's all the leaders on the third floor trying to get the 2nd Cavalry Regiment to go to Poland, Sabre Guardian, go to France, go down to Turkey all at the same time. Because you have captains that are going up to Finland to go make a decision on a, on a squadron deployment to go somewhere. Right. And I think that's the thing that I've seen or had the most value with is just go make decisions. Yeah. It's always amazing to me how in line you always are with the RCOs, you know, commander's intent and the CG's commander's intent from having one conversation and immediately transitioning that conversation to another one and just never skipping a beat. You know, it's imp- it's impressive to see you, know, you take the top six, the RCO, myself, the DCO, Sergeant Major Revis, and then you two. It doesn't matter who it is, what room they find themselves in, they're going to be able to have the same conversation and be in line with one another. It's because we're constantly talking. All right, I'm going to ask a provocative question. Do you think that officers treat it more like a profession than NCOs do? I wish if I would have known that question, I would have brought the Webster's definition of professional. Initially, the Army profession, original doctrine that existed, really talked a lot about how you start as uh, like an apprentice and training, and then uh, you move on to be um, eventually a professional. And, and there's no set time on that. You know, obviously, you take a look at a first time enlistment, probably don't quite know yet what it's about. You make that decision to go to second time enlistment, kind of what's that look about? For, for officers, that's probably usually happening on average around captain. That's the time that they have a decision to get in or out. If you're a professional, you really embody every creed that exists. NCO creed, uh, ranger creed, warrior creed. creed. It's it's all about being a professional and how well you know your profession. So I don't even think it's necessarily about officer versus NCO. Uh, This would almost go back to before we were talking about mentorship, integration, feedback. For me, it's yes, the, the first step, make a decision. But after that, it's on the leader to now say, okay, why did you make that decision? Well, because so-and-so told me at my last unit, that's how we do stuff. But where's the the thirst to know for yourself? Is that what the regulation says? Is that what doctrine says? Have you studied it? Have you seen other ways? If you're going to be a a machine gunner, do you understand how your optics work? If you're going to be an M4 rifleman, do you understand how your ACOG works? Or are you just putting the red echelon at the top on your target because you think that's the best way to shoot because you can see it easier than the hash marks? And you never went back to look at the TM because you wanted to be a professional at what you did. If you're an officer, and do you understand the regulations? Do you have the curiosity? That profession of, okay, I'm going to have to learn because I don't know. Yeah. Um, So Instead of just shying to what you do know. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I could, it, it is a provocative question. I think it's tough to just simply break it down officer versus NCO. I think from young ages, there are people like, this is what I want to do. You know, doctors, if you're not a master of your profession, what happens? People die or maimed for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. The Army is no different. Just because, you know, we're maybe not deploying and those that do, you know, it's not necessarily you know, what it, what it has been in the past, but we never know what tomorrow brings. What you train, what you know, and what you train others on is going to be the difference between life or death. And it might not even be the now. It might be 10 years down the road, 
you know, young, you know, Sergeant Burke, you know, trained by Platoon Sergeant X, you know, might remember something and it results in being successful on a mission or not being successful when people die. And we have to think about it that way as leaders, that we have that responsibility, that even the people that we're training here and now eventually are going to be to the higher rank and we are part of that development process. And then we are also, we, NCOs, officers, everyone are responsible for accounting for those folks that don't meet the certification standard, don't Mm. maintain to continue to develop Mm. themselves. Similar to the the medical community, similar to lawyers, we have the requirement to police our own, to make sure that we're within our own standards that we have developed, that are clearly articulated, and that people are still kept abreast of what are the current requirements, whether they're warfare or inoculations for immunizations. That is part of the profession. And I think that when we look at if there is a divide, I think it's not officer NCO. I think it's a tactical application professional who's applying everything that Hmm. those generalists or those enterprise level leaders are professionals in. Mike, with the regimental XO perspective, is responsible for, like you said, staffs that are more knowledgeable in a certain thing than he is. He's responsible for that. It is his professional requirement as a leader to be knowledgeable enough and up to date on everything that they need to do in order to apply them appropriately to enable Sergeant David to apply the tactics and the professional doctrine that he understands on the battlefield. I think there's a divide at echelon as opposed to a divide by rank or NCO officer. If I could jump in, and hopefully this doesn't sidetrack it too much. Absolutely not. We're talking here about leadership and where and when you become a profession, and then when do you invest in those young NCOs? We have these expectations. You know, the most important person to me, I think, in the entire Army is the Alpha team leader. That person can stop an entire brigade all because he got lost with his team or because he decided <laughs> to take a short halt. Right. Uh, and I got it. it. It's probably taking it to a little extreme there. No, it creates a ripple effect. I mean, absolutely. It does. Who, who would be the first people that the average leader would send to that professional development? Probably officers. Officers, platoon sergeants, maybe, probably first sergeant commander and up. Right. Uh, so it's not that we wouldn't send NCOs. It would just be quite senior NCOs. But did the officer who's been probably studying that in some sort of captain's career course or AOBC or IOBC or some sort of other leader PME uh, professional military education course did they uh, they've probably already been reading and looking at that yeah at what point did we introduce the squad leader to those same exact concepts especially as we talk about the leadership the difference between yelling and inspiring and how to build a team we did we equip them with those tools we gave them all kinds of great weapons did we train them on the one most important weapon that costs so much money, which is that human endeavor? Did we equip them to handle that human weapon? That can lead into about five other discussion points. More uh, podcasts. More podcasts, <laughs> you know, talking about NCO, PME. I'm going to ask you guys a question I want you to think about. What do you want out of an NCO? What's your expectations of an NCO? And while you guys think about that, I'm going to talk about my side of the fence. Having a clear vision, laying out what their expectations are, their strengths and their weaknesses, and relying on my experience, they, they never belittle or try to discount the experience that I do have. 
And I know no matter what the subject, uh, even if it's an emotional one for me, you know, and uh, I'll have subjects that I'm extremely emotional about. And when I come to them, even with that emotion, they're going to hear me out. Now, granted, they're going to probably have to tell me to dial it back, but they're always going to have the kind of that uh, open kind of minded philosophy. When they're, something is getting under their skin, something is making them mad, they're seeing something that maybe I'm quite frankly not, they, they come to me and uh, they don't let it fester and they don't let it build up and then they have an explosion. You know, the shared understanding and that, you know, that mutual trust is uh, really what I need. They can lead the organization through that, making sure that they, they allow the NCOs that have the experience to tie in the, or to have a vote as well. So who wants to go first? I think for NCOs, the care of the soldier. NCOs will interact with soldiers far more often, I think, and have a far better pulse than the officer will. That doesn't mean officers should not absolutely be trying to get out. But just the way it's structured from a team leader to a squad leader to a platoon sergeant, those NCOs have got to care for those soldiers and then be the eyes and ears for the commander of when morale's low. Mm. Okay, what are some recommendations to improve it? Because we still have a mission to do. Some words that I won't forget is uh, what you hear the RCO say all the time. Command Sergeant Major Burke and I, and then whatever it was. Whether you signed up for it or not, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it it is that first step that it is a command team, and those yeah. two own all of the bad uh, that's going to happen yeah. um, uh, based on those decisions. Uh, I think uh, the other thing is uh, looking for out of an NCO is to play off each other's strengths. The commander may be a soft-spoken intellectual who approaches problem sets differently. Uh, in the first sort, maybe the more motivational public speaker with a loud enough voice to inspire the soldiers. Right. It could also be completely opposite, where the first sergeant, based on his strengths and experiences and jobs he's come from, is phenomenal at administrative work and tracking NCOERs and managing the orderly room and, and maybe even supply and maintenance. And that officer is really good at expressing publicly a vision, but not so good with the administrative things. And so I think it's, it goes back to that team concept, playing off each other's strengths, and then using that instead of pinning yourself into a role of, well, I'm an officer, this is officer business, and I'm an NCO, and this is NCO business. And then, just so I don't go on too long, probably the last one is just executing the right thing. That lieutenant might know it and be able to recite it off doctrine, but has he ever executed it? Right. And if that NCO is not enforcing that officer to do the right thing, and so if that young lieutenant who's setting up an M4 range is like, yeah, yeah, that's good, we just have to get this done, and that NCO is not being like, sir, that's not standard. Yeah. Like, we need to execute it like this. So looking for that honest feedback and saying, no, this is the way we got to do it. No, that's Major. good. That's it's really good. I wrote four things down. Okay, go ahead. Three of them already been covered. You covered most of them. Mike got one of them. The team. Like it, it's absolutely a team. It sets the face of the organization uh, at Echelon. It's absolutely a team. A SAR major, a commander, a major, their officer major, first sergeant, commander, whatever it is, it's a team. Those two will offset strengths and weaknesses, just like you said. A partnership and a sounding board. You have markedly different experiences than I do. Mm. I will never have your experiences. Mm -hmm. You will never have my experiences. But together, that is a holistic view of what should occur in an organization or what should not occur in an organization. 
And I think those two play in very nicely. And then the last thing I would say is covering of blind spots. Mm-hmm. Every single NCO that I have worked with has at some point or another come up and said, I got this, sir. I don't even know what he has yet because <laughs> I didn't even know the problem existed. But it's like, I got this. This is what we're doing about it. You don't need to worry about it. Right. And and I think that plays back into the covering the blind spots. There, there's a lot of things that I will never realize go on. Yeah. That's our major rebus. Um, that first aren't king that first aren't skittish starting first class eric jones did that occurred because he had that perspective and that unique view on things and just could take care of things that i didn't even know existed so those are the four main things that, that i look for and i'm glad to see that it's shared in unison across a, a lot of different views that's uh that's it's pretty phenomenal i'm gonna I'm a, I'm a share a story that i think uh, you know i shot or i thought of when major hefty was talking and i think you know definitely it uh, resounded iraq 2003 i'm a squad leader toon sergeant who's uh, actually still in the army uh, pretty high ranked sergeant major now not high ranking platoon sergeant <laughs> <laughs> he's the best platoon sergeant ever we're in a, a pretty good tick troops in contact the way we'd kind of came off the aircraft the pl he's on the high ground and the platoon sergeant is down below uh and us squad leaders were kind of fighting through the fight basically just doing a movement to contact you know, as I'm trying to, you know, move the teams and kind of fight through this and get the automatic, you know, machine guns and everything, you know, into the right positions as we kind of go so I can set for the next squad. You know, I hear over the radio, I hear the platoon sergeant say, Bravo, Bravo 26, hey, you need to come down off the ridge line. You need to come to my position um, so that I can move forward. You know, he said, Roger, and he moved. Um, but looking back, especially afterwards, and we all went back up to the ridge line, you know, so that we could exfil. Look at and look. We look down, and I mean, it was literally like carnage. I remember thinking, "Why did this PL give up this position?" I mean, he could see everything, you know. And I remember asking him, "Why did you move down?" And he's like, "Well, the platoon sergeant told me to." You know, the reason was is that he wanted him to move down. He had a good position where he could see just as much, um, but he needed him there so that he could move forward and continue to fight the squads as we were pushing forward. And it just plays into exactly what you guys were talking about there. They need to be at the point of friction making those split-second decisions because they have the experience that plays into that, but also that trust that PL had. Because I, he even said, you know, he felt that he had great control, especially with the aviation asset. He was controlling where he was at. But he had such trust in the platoon sergeant that the platoon sergeant said, hey, sir, I need you to move down here. Without hesitation, he moved there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you want to get to that level of trust. With ever, whatever leadership position you find yourself in, NCO, officer, you want to have that type of relationship because that is what will save lives. Because indecisiveness, banter, discord results in death. Can you look at the history of the NCO? You look back to Baron von Steuben, you know, General Pershings, all these people that have advocated for the NCO Corps. The NCO Corps needs to be strengthened in our army so that officers can do what they need to do. The NCOs will lead the soldiers is kind of that cry that NCOs need to be these professionals that we're talking about and help facilitate the development, the mentorship, both ways uh, with, with their officer counterparts or the officers they find themselves underneath. Because at the end of the day, we're in this together. And mm-hmm. there we are, all we have got. And uh, we're going to have to fight through this and we're going to have to figure this out together. But when the bullets are flying and the bombs are exploding on the battlefield, you're in it together. You have to work together, and you have to see everybody through it. Thank you. 
I appreciate you guys coming in. You guys are awesome. I'm going to be sad to see you two leave, but I know the two officers that are coming behind you are going to do just as great a job. This is Jagoon7, signing off.